Hi, Chris. Hi, Trevor. All right. I want to know some things about your past. Ooh, intriguing. I'm ready. You ready? Okay. This is going to take you really far back, but it's the time of year when I think you might be thinking of this anyway. Hmm. I want you to think back to your first day of school. Hmm. Your very first day of school. Tell us, was it kindergarten, grade one? In case you're new here, I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. That's Trevor Chow Fraser. We're in my office at home, double vaxxed, and this is Let's Find Out, part of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I did do kindergarten. Um, boy, I don't think I remember kind- kindergarten at all. My first school memory is being in grade one and doing um, uh, an owl pellet dissection where they paired you up with a grade six student. Owl, comma, pellet. <laughs> Owl slash pellet. <laughs> Owl and pellet. What? The grade six student and the wee little grade one student would, would be paired together and they would like go through the like coughed up pellet from an owl and look for bones. And we actually got to assemble like almost a complete mouse skeleton and, and like glue it with that Maji glue onto a sheet of construction paper. Cool. Yeah. I imagine I was really cute when I was in kindergarten, though. (laughs) Uh, This is interesting because I had a theory that, you know, most people don't remember their first day of school. Mm. They remember their first traumatic memory of school. Mm. So for me, (laughs) it's like when I was, uh, I was at Garneau in Edmonton and, um, I just remember losing my blankie because I forgot to bring it home and then it was gone forever and then we left Edmonton (laughs) and so it was definitely gone. That's the only thing I remember about school in Edmonton. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That is traumatic. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Do you have a traumatic memory of school? Yes. Grade one also at McKee Elementary, I remember, um, I, I bet this teacher thought it was a real treat. Um, they showed the class E.T., uh, and I remember being terrified by the hazmat scene at the end, where all the, like, scientists, quote-unquote, or government officials or whatever, are in the white suits. I remember that scene really freaked me out. It took me a long time to be able to go back and, and finish E.T. And it didn't scare you off science? surprisingly didn't scare me off science maybe because jurassic park came out like the year after <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah were you really into dinosaurs in school i was or obsessed you were okay yeah because i thought maybe in alberta you know maybe it's totally everything everything's about dinosaurs here god get over it you know? <laughs> my my grammy remembers like sewing me like shorts that had like a cute little dinosaur patch on them when i was little I had dinosaur stuffed animal and uh yeah like after Jurassic Park I just remember my life being like a wash of of like going to the Terrell Museum going to the dinosaur expo um when it was here in Edmonton um and then like Shiro Junior High uh, I remember Phil Curry being my like top hero definitely in the world paleontologist now teaches at the U of A yeah cool so you uh were really into dinosaurs um, at the beginning of your academic life, mm-hmm. back in grade one. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- w- where did you go from there? Were you like on that science uh, outdoor 
exploration track where what was your clique or what was your what was your school clique uh, I'm making like a scrunched up face of embarrassment because um, my mom probably would have really loved me to have been on a science streak. Um, and my dad, too, because he was in computer sciences. My mom was in um, chemical engineering. So the Chang Yen side of my family, I definitely like felt a little bit of pressure to become an engineer like a lot of them are. Uh, but no, it didn't really interest me because I was into theater. Um, yeah, I was like interested in learning about like astronomy and paleontology but i thought i'd be a i thought i would be an actor until the end of high school like learning about dinosaurs is fun but wouldn't you rather be a dinosaur <laughs> wouldn't you rather embody a dinosaur yeah i i don't know it just didn't seem achievable to me to get that that far into paleontology especially because i knew at a certain point i realized like you have to be really good at biology, chemistry, and physics. Um, know a lot about anatomy. Um, probably be good at pretty, pretty good at geology, too. Um, it just didn't really seem that achievable. Okay, so you were a theater geek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what was that like? What was your... Uh, how would you describe your school life as a kid? Um, Where did you go after McKee? I was very, very lucky. After McKee... Um, I got uh, to transfer to Westbrook to do the academic challenge program. Uh, then I went to Vernon Barford, did AC there as well. Um, and then all along this journey, my parents paid for acting classes for me, which was very generous of them. And then um, it, I, for high school, I ended up getting to go to Vic. Um, that now Victoria School of the Arts is, is uh, its current name. Um, and uh, yeah, I got to specialize in acting and directing um through high school which was like brilliant and fun and like intellectually and creatively very meaty for me and also by the end of grade 12 i was uh pretty disillusioned with it and was like at another point of like i don't know what i'm doing next with my life oh no yeah (laughs) so all that investment in your acting didn't it didn't work well uh, so we did this play called Mad Woman of Shio in grade 12 um, that was really high concept. And um, t- t- tell me the concept. <laughs> <laughs> it was like uh, it's a it's like a, a farce kind of like a, a French play, um, sort of a comedy. And the director wanted us to do it in the style of Commedia dell'arte. It's like this Italian mask theater comedy thing. We all had to make our own face masks and, and like went through all these like rituals of learning how to use a mask. And um, I just remember like I had done a lot of, of things that I felt really proud of. And Vic was a very supportive theater environment to like try new things and, and get into like things that were creatively very interesting. And I remember like being very proud of every time we got applause for something we did on stage. And then I did this play and I just I, I knew as I was on stage the whole time that what we were doing was bad and Mm. and not interesting. (laughs) And we still got a standing ovation Mm. like every time we performed it. And it just, it really made me feel like a, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. If there doesn't seem to be any standard of why people are clapping. And also um, I just felt like the incentives of like what got me on stage were all messed up too. I was like, am I just doing this for applause? Like, is that enough? Is that enough to like get um, 
like an audience reaction and, and positivity thing if I don't feel like I've added anything meaningful or interesting to the world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, y- you were 17. Mm-hmm. Those are those are perfectly fine, angsty 17-year-old <laughs> questions to ask, to ask yourself. <laughs> so it makes sense. I guess that makes sense. Wow, that was half my lifetime ago. <laughs> So you ended your high school after all this this long trajectory of acting, theater, mm-hmm. um, and you had no idea what to do with the rest of your life? Well, I was lucky because I'd already applied for Canada World Youth. Oh, okay. So uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's this like cultural exchange slash volunteer program you can do where you get a chance to volunteer and live with people from all over Canada and another host country. There's a group of like... 15, 20 of you that go through this thing for like six, seven months. And, um, yeah, so I had that all, I all lined up. Um, Mm -hmm. and by the end of my Canada world youth time, which was a split between BC and China, um, I sort of stumbled into learning about international development and I was like, okay, here's a field that is very meaningful and interesting, Mm -hmm. um, because it is a field all about, um, sort of investigating and learning about the big problems of colonialism and poverty and how did the world get to be this place that is like wildly rich and wildly poor at the same time and also get to learn about, about like economics and yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like maybe you were tired of thinking only by yourself and you were you were looking for a way to uh, get out of your head. Yeah. Get out into the world. Yeah. So it sounds like at the end of high school, were you looking? Were you looking for a way to get out of school and into this program? Like, what what, what was what was driving you to to try something totally different from uh, from the academic track? I think the noble part of me wants to say that I like wanted to contribute something meaningful to the world by volunteering. Because um, I thought that's what it would be, is like volunteering. I didn't really think too much about me being like 17-year-old and not having many other skills other than like acting. <laughs> right, so you got there and they're like, what can you do to help? <laughs> A like, soliloquy? Yeah. I I mean, you'd be surprised how many times our group was called upon to sing and here comes the sun because those were the two songs that our whole group could sing one in english one in chinese uh yeah we we sang for like a fundraiser in powell river and for like a like a couple visiting senators while we were in china and, and stuff man i have really learned to hate here comes the sun but you learned about the i still love i think i was supposed to learn that in chinese class Oh, Deng Li Jun um, is a is a Chinese class classic. Um, a lot of her stuff is is like very easy and fun to learn. Would recommend. Yeah, I wasn't good at um, Chinese. Period. <laughs> <laughs> and then singing a tonal language, it was it just totally threw me for a loop. I couldn't get it. Really, yeah. I find singing in Chinese kind of relaxing compared to trying to speak it because. Your tones are naturally all over the place while you're singing anyway, so it doesn't really matter if you mess them up. Um. So, uh, yeah, so you, um, 
you wanted to do something for the world. Mm -hmm. You found that you didn't have any skills, but you did find an interest yeah. in international development, issues of colonialism. Yeah. And so you went to university. Yeah. So, I mean, if your mom's an engineer, your dad's a computer scientist, mm -hmm. how did they even let you not go to university <laughs> in the first place? Well, I, uh, probably because I had something very structured um, that I was doing. It wasn't just like a year of like, just just like, well, maybe I'll find a job here in Edmonton for the year. Um, I did end up working a bunch of super weird random jobs while I was like home on summers and stuff. But I think the fact that it was structured and it was mm -hmm. something I even had to like fundraise for and like get a lot of forms signed and there was like an orientation that probably convinced them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then when you told them you wanted to go to university, they were like, okay, thank God. <laughs> yeah, their primary request was like, you can apply for the schools that you want to, but you also have to apply to the U of A. Okay. <laughs> and then where did you end up going and why? Uh, I went to York in Toronto. Um, I had visited a friend who was studying at York, so I already knew someone there. And then while I was on campus, I was asking about the political science department and the poli sci profs were like, oh, no, you don't want this department. It sounds like you're interested in international development. And the U of A didn't have an uh, international development studies program. Um, so, yeah, I applied to York and, and uh, I thought it would be a good fit. It was not. <laughs> um, I think I just I just I needed to like stretch my legs a little bit and like you know, wander the world a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah, so, like, I ended up studying, honestly, I did my university degree at five different universities by the <laughs> end. <laughs> but okay, my starting with York. Starting with York. Then I got a scholarship to go study uh, in China at Sichuan University to l improve my Chinese. Uh, then... Uh, long story short, York wasn't for me, so I switched to Trent University, which was like very beautiful and hands-on and interdisciplinary. Um, it's like a school in the middle of a cedar forest, like straddling a river. It's extremely beautiful, and if you want to take ecology classes and you're an arts major, they don't look at you like you're an idiot. They, uh, they're like, cool, great, sign yeah. up for ecology. Just make sure you have the prerequisites. That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds uh, like the perfect place for you. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah. Did you do like interdisciplinary stuff while you were doing your degree? Um, if you mean, did I not declare my major until the last semester? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah, I well, I did. Uh, I did think that I was going to university to study philosophy. Mm. And uh, it turns out philosophy is really hard. Mm, mm -hmm. And um, I think probably anything you, anything you try to do in your first semester or two of university is going to be hard because it's a big adjustment. Um, but yeah, I was I was not getting the marks that I wanted <laughs> in philosophy, but I was really enjoying like literature classes, uh, and I was studying Chinese, and um, I ended up just following the profs that I liked the most. Hmm. So there were a couple of profs who study, um, they taught different Asian religions hmm. uh, and they were kind of anarchists. And so it was like a really interesting, anthropologically, it was re really interesting just for me to explore 
uh, some of some of these religious uh, religion, religious traditions that I didn't know much about. Huh. Uh, some of it was like connecting to my Chinese history, um, and then politically they were anarchists, and so it was very like it resonated a lot with the things I was doing outside of university. Wild. Uh, with like community organizing in Montreal. Wild. Uh, yeah. So I basically I have an East Asian studies degree. Um, but all the profs were in the religious studies department. (laughs) (laughs) And I also have an English literature degree. But as I was reminded the other day, I didn't take any courses where I had to read a novel. (laughs) I only read poetry (laughs) and drama. And so I can't actually read. Mm. I don't don't have the stamina. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I'm a sprinter. (laughs) I'm a literary sprinter, but... That's kind of why I dropped out of school later. <laughs> I mean, I finished my degree, but then I never went back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what was like the kind of life that you thought you were going to build for yourself at university? By the time I'd actually enrolled in university... I had um, sort of been exposed to the different ways of thinking about what a degree is for. Um, there's like the the model of like, you get an education so that you can get a good job. And then there's, also, there's another model is the liberal arts kind of model where you learn basically how to become a good citizen and how to think. And maybe by the end, you are just like a better <laughs> contributor to society to have around maybe unemployable (laughs) but but hopefully better at like thinking through interesting problems um so i i that was kind of what i envisioned um abstractly for most of my degree was like i'll probably just be better at being whatever not really sure what i'll do with it um Mm -hmm. by the end of my degree though i had become really interested in um writing Uh, i was freelancing for view when i was back in edmonton um, for summers and stuff. And um, I'd also written for the student newspaper, um, Arthur. And um, so by the end, I'd sort of formed this like mental map of like, cool, well, now that I know how to think through like environmental studies problems and like big global issues, um, I'll just be a journalist. And I applied for a CBC internship and was very lucky to get a CBC radio internship in Toronto, like right out of school. Oh, nice. And then subsequently was not able to get more work at CBC Radio. That's how we met. Uh, not at the CBC, but... Uh, In the period of what the hell do I do with my life <laughs> now that CBC doesn't want me. Yeah, right, 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 right. I didn't know that's why you had so much free time on your hands to socialize, <laughs> throw parties, invite people, invite strangers to your parties. <laughs> Because, like, because uh, for listeners, the the way that Trevor and I met is that uh, CJSR, the campus radio station where I now work, um, they had an environmental news show, Terra Informa, um, that, uh, yeah, it just seemed like a great opportunity to, like, get some experience, some portfolio that might one day perhaps make me um, mm. worth considering hiring as a journalist. And along the way, I sort of fell in love with just making my own stuff and the community radio model. And, and there, yeah, and here you are. I thought that you were really good at organizing the Terraforma team uh, because you loved it. But I guess it's because you uh, 
<laughs> felt like you had a void in your life that CBC had uh, let you down and you had to work really hard to get out of that hole <laughs> um, and build your own radio podcasting empire. Uh, I, so th- thank you for doing that. <laughs> kind of. More academic adventures in a minute. But first, with PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. And this episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout out to CJSR's High Level Hip Hop, which is a podcast I helped start at the station. And I'm so, so proud of it. It is a deep dive into Edmonton's hip hop scene and the artists helping shape it. So High Level Hip Hop takes us I think, super cool approach to introducing listeners to the OGs and the young bloods of Edmonton's hip-hop scene. The show is aimed at people like me, maybe people like you, who love local music, but might not have had a chance to fall in love with Edmonton's surprisingly diverse hip-hop scene. Each episode features an interview with a local artist and a fresh track that they recorded at CJSR this summer. So you can check out episodes with Arlo Maverick and Please Be Nice and Selassie and CX to the World very cool artists, and more throughout the season. High Level Hip Hop is produced by CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station, and you can download it wherever you find podcasts and at highlevelhiphop.transistor.fm. This episode is also brought to you by Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates. Shift showcases the work being done in the province's innovation ecosystem, everything from health to clean energy. Join hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen as they interview the researchers, the entrepreneurs, and the businesses that are shifting our perspective about innovation in the province. A couple of their recent episodes have dug into the future of hemp in Alberta agriculture. You can find Shift Podcast by Alberta Innovates on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at shift.albertainnovates.ca. That's shift.albertainnovates.ca. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you uh, you came out of school, uh, you had you had a little bit of experience um, with the CBC as an intern, mm-hmm. uh, and then, but but you basically were finding a way to build a career mm-hmm. uh, using skills that aren't like if you look at your degree, it's not what it says that your skills are, but you've like those are the skills you developed as a liberal arts or uh, as a humanities scholar mm-hmm. uh i did something similar I th- and i thought i think when i went into university i was thinking with the same thing like my my mom's a biologist and my dad's uh trained as a scientist my grandfather's as a geneticist one of the first geneticists and so they were very supportive but hmm. i was like i'm not going to university to learn something <laughs> that will get me a job like you guys did is like the only other option is to go and just like become a critical thinker. Yep. I mean, it is valuable. I, I value the skills I got, but it feels like the wrong approach. Cause mm-hmm. if I had done it a little differently there, I would have followed the same intellectual like curiosities. Mm. Um, but I probably would have taken like a stats course or like a little bit of coding, you know, because you can follow your like out in the world of jobs. Yeah. It's important to think critically, but it's also like great if you can find a way to apply it on your own, Yeah, (laughs) you know, and I find I'm always kind of struggling to figure out like, who can I turn to, to 
to like cobble together a website or <laughs> you know add, to understand what these what this data means um, you're looking to people for that kind of thing i think well, of you as being great at web design <laughs> uh to, so t- i'm uh, to me it's like a graphical thing mm. but uh, the the coding is is so hard oh yeah mm. I, like i spend hours and hours and hours trying to get hello world to to work you know mm. uh so I, yeah i feel like you can you should be able to get a liberal arts degree with some applications built in <laughs> <laughs> anyway mm. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> so, uh, I just want to know one or two more things about your undergrad. Did you work hard? <laughs> I'm very good at working under pressure. <laughs> if something is imminently due, I'm really good at working hard. Um, so so not always. <laughs> but was what was school about if it wasn't about working hard at school to you? Because it doesn't have to be. What, what, what was it about? A, a lot of being in school is just like... The, 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 talking to you has reminded me that um, like underpinning pretty much all of my thinking on most of what we've talked about from age 17 onwards is influenced by this book Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Um, uh, have you read Ishmael? No, no. Um, something about a, a whale? Uh, n- no. The, so call me Ishmael is the first line of Moby Dick. Um, uh, this Ishmael is a, a gorilla. Um, okay. See, it, it, I only did poetry and drama. <laughs> In both cases, it's a biblical reference that goes slightly over my head. Um, but um, the book Ishmael by Daniel Quinn is is about um, whether humanity can save itself and its place on the planet, basically. Um, and a really interesting way of looking at the last, like, 10,000 years of human history. Um, and one of the key conclusions of his book is that um, uh, we act out... Um, the stories that we tell ourselves about the world. Um, so if we tell ourselves um, that uh, all of history has culminated in the evolution of mammals and then primates and then humans, ta-da, the end of the story, then that's a story that we act out. We, If we create a story where creation stops with humans, <laughs> then we end up like... Uh, acting out this story where we've made a world where creation isn't happening anymore. We're like mm. shrugging at, as we create mass extinction all around us. So conversely, he says, like creating like programs to stop environmental destruction and, and social problems and stuff is not very, not nearly as effective as creating a new story for what humans can be. Um, he says that like programs are like sticks in a river and vision is the flowing river itself. So if you just grab a stick and make a new channel, people will hopefully come flow down the new path. And um, yeah, so all of which is to say, a lot of what I was trying to do during my degree was like, learn how to be a more persuasive storyteller about the big social environmental problems that we face. 
Hmm. And um, maybe fill people with like a little bit of like hope and possibility that like, here are some big problems and here are some ways that we can think about actually solving them. Cool. So, so even in your early 20s, you were thinking about school as a place where you're developing your storytelling? Yeah. Like even before you got into radio? God, this would really horrify my parents to hear, considering how many thousands of dollars they dumped into my undergrad. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, well, so this is fascinating. You have a fascinating approach to schooling. And... Um, after your compulsory schooling was over. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I guess I'm wondering, you finished, you graduated from Trent mm-hmm. a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Was grad school ever in the cards when you were at Trent? Some of my friends were, were going to do a master's, but it didn't seem obvious to me what a master's would be. I had like a joint bachelor of arts in environmental studies and international development it's not really like an obvious follow-up to it you could do a master's in international development but that didn't really seem to appeal to me um i did the closest i came for a long time was considering a master's in journalism um partly because like it's not that easy to get work in journalism but people who get a master's like it's slightly easier it seemed like Uh, but then the more i kind of dug into it, it it seemed like Half the people I knew had a great experience, and half the people I knew, they, they quit it, and they went to the dark side, just communications. <laughs> oh, ouch. Okay. <laughs> you know, some of us go back to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't seem, it, it didn't seem uh, worth it just for the intellectual exercise of, of like, cool, I could learn how to be a better journalist, but it seems like professionally I'll end up in the same place if, at at best. Yeah, I mean, and so you've like, you left, you graduated, you did your internship, you came Mm -hmm. back to Edmonton, Mm -hmm. um, found a job working at community radio, Mm -hmm. um, developed a podcast, and you've been running the business of (laughs) your podcast (laughs) as well as uh, helping with the business of community radio. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I guess there's no need for it to go back to grad school. Yeah, uh, until uh, until I did the historian laureate thing, and then I realized like, a, whoa, I'm actually like, really interested by learning about history in the place that I live, and also had um, kind of like a good sense of imposter syndrome of. <laughs> People kind of looking to me to know all these things, and I'll, not not you just mean like a healthy sense of uh, imposter. Yeah, yeah, a healthy mm-hmm. sense of imposter syndrome. In that pe- people kind of ex- would like, I'd get media requests to do, um, to to like respond to this building is about to be demolished. What can you tell us about how important this building is? So there's like trivia that people ask me to know that, like nine times out of ten, I'd never heard of the building. Um, <laughs> but there were also like, you know, my big project as a story and Laurie was creating this podcast. Let's find out and trying to help people think through how to investigate questions about local history um, and thus maybe learn about how to like be active participants in making this place better and maybe saving the world. Um, <laughs> but but I, I realized like at a certain point, like, oh, I'm bumping up against the limits of 
how well I know how to evaluate like the sources that we're looking at or where to look for sources about some questions. Like I, th- I tried to make that an asset, I think, bringing listeners along on the journeys with me as I sort of stumble through, oh, what, this archive exists? Um, or, wow, I didn't know that there was this exciting resource. Like I try to leverage that I'm very curious and, and like I, I don't try to hide that I usually don't know where we're going to look for information at the beginning of a, a story. But I also like... Yeah, started to kind of wish that I had a deeper professional understanding of not just where to find information, but also how to think critically about sources. Cool. Yeah. So do you think you'll ever go back to grad school to, like, pursue that? <laughs> you know, Trevor, I think I might just... Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think I might go back to grad school, like, September 1st. Oh, no. (laughs) That's fantastic for you. Yeah, yeah. Am I out of a job? (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh, You're uh, going to keep making this show with me because let's find out uh, for the next two years, (laughs) if I could finish in time, is going to be a bit of a documentary of um, me learning how to think more uh, like a historian thinks, and also investigating a really interesting research question about um, Western Canadian history and um, how decisions get made about the land that we live on. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I imagine that it's going to be really embarrassing mm. if you tell me what your research project's going to be about mm. two years from now when you hear that it's completely different. <laughs> but... <laughs> What is your research going to be about? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do you think, what do you think your research is going to be about? Oh, yeah, I'm fascinated, too, to see the gap between this recording and what it'll be like by the end. But, okay, so I'm doing a master's in history at the U of A, um, and uh, what I, my research project that I pitched was um, looking at Yoho National Park, which is in the Rocky Mountains, Um this wasn't just by accident. Like I uh, specifically was applying to um, study under this supervisor who I know does really interesting environmental history research in the Canadian Rockies and had Mm. to make a pitch uh, to do like Mm. something to do with like land use decisions um, in the Rockies. And you've spent some time in Yoho, right? I've spent, yeah. Like I remember going hiking there with my mom when I was little and then going back hiking um, with Finn and with other family and friends um, because the really awesome thing about the Yoho National Park is it, to me is that it has these two sites where you can see fossils from 500 million years ago. This is <laughs> way before the dinosaurs, like literally hundreds oh. of millions of years before dinosaurs were around. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, and like dinosaurs are really cool. Um, and we, we like what we find of them is like often like teeth or um, like leg bones or big exciting skulls and the, like the fascinating thing about the Burgess Shale is that um, th- this area that has preserved the, these fossils from the Cambrian from 500 million years ago um, preserved soft-bodied organisms that didn't have bones um, they they and not only that they were underwater organisms this whole ecosystem where like life looked completely different than it looks now there were th- 
like animals experimenting with body forms. There's nothing like them today, and they have no living relatives. A lot of them, like one of them, has a ring of five eyes, and then like a vacuum cleaner <laughs> mouth coming out the front. Um, there's another one that looks like just sort of like if a worm had spikes in like all directions and was able to like walk sort of, um, that, that's another one of the organisms that's been found there. Um, uh, one of the earliest, um, ancestors in our lineage, like vertebrates has been found there. It's called Pykea. It, it, it looks like a, a flat worm, but the fact that it's symmetrical and it's got like like the beginning of a backbone um, is so cool because you can see like 500 million years ago, whoa, there's something we're related to swimming around in the water there. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. And scary. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So Yoho National Park, awesome, cool. You can go hiking on these two mountains, Mount Field and Mount Stephen, where the Parks Canada you have to get Parks Canada approval. You have to book one of these hikes to go up um, and, and see these things in trilobites that, that uh, listeners might recognize the look of, um, kind of like like insecty looking organisms, although they're not related to insects. Um, so that's kind of what I knew it for. And then the, the town of Field near these places um, is also kind of a like railway town because the, the railway comes through this um, pass between the mountains, Kicking Horse Pass. Um, which was quite important for like the development of Canada as a country, figuring out which route um, the railroad would take through the mountains, um, and the decision to making to make it go through Kicking Horse Pass um, had lots of consequences for how all of us live today. So that's quite cool. Um, also, this pass has been very important historically for Tunaha and Blackfoot people. Um, uh, I've, just in prepping for this proposal, I, I just like did the barest amount of research looking at uh, like how Tunaha people have related to this pass and um, uh, very short version is like, you know, it's it has been an important uh, part of their uh, traditional territory and point of contact and trading with other um, peoples and like uh, many other indigenous people in Canada. Um, there was lots of like uh, from my surface level understanding. Um, lots of um, deception, betrayal in the eventual, you, we just want to put you on a reservation process that Indian mm. agents went through in the 1800s with Tunaha people that um, cut them off from access to the Kicking Horse Pass and also like ended up, like many indigenous groups that signed onto treaties, um, ended up leading to a lot of suffering and pain and um, like starvation level problems mm. for Tunaha people. And from... Again, the surface level research that I've done, um, because they were in contact with Blackfoot people, um, they were able to learn that the Indian agent that was sort of managing um, treaty relationships with the Blackfoot people was um, treating them much better. And mm. so Tunaha people like were like, what the hell to their own Indian agent in BC? And um, the response from the Indian agent in BC was um, to try to ensure that Blackfoot and Tunaha people no longer had contact through the Kicking Horse Pass, which is like mm -hmm. deeply disturbing and fascinating. I'd love to learn more about it, and I know very little about it so far. Yeah. Okay, and the other thing is that uh, on these mountains, where like these incredible, beautiful fossils can be found, this like priceless like cathedral of of Earth's history preserved, just like 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 churning out of the mountains. Um, there was also active iron and zinc mining um, through the early 1900s up until 1953, which really blows my mind. You can go camping now, 
um, at the like Monarch Mines campground, I think it's called. Um, and th- those were the mines that were active on that mo- those mountains. So my my big question sort of touches on some of these things. The the my big question is something to the effect of how the hell did it get decided that these mountains would be preserved with the intention of prioritizing paleontology of all things? Mm. Um, <laughs> like this site has been important to so many people for so many reasons. How is it that now, um, if you want to go hike on these mountains, you have to get Parks Canada approval? And like, uh, you know, there, there are so many other interest groups, so many other ways that these mountains could be interacted with. Um, or exploited for resources or whatnot. I'm I'm really curious how that happened, and I'm also curious to know like how fair has that process been. This is more of like a qualitative or like this is more of a judgment question. So I don't I don't even know how much I can or should get into that in the like grad studies part of investigating this thing. Um, but I, I yeah I don't know. Um, I'm sure later I'll go into why I'm curious about like the power that paleontologists may have had over decision making about this. Um, but yeah, that's where I would leave it for now. It's like, I'm curious how those decisions got made and who has power in that decision making in Yoho National Park. Awesome. I can see why they accepted your proposal because <laughs> it, sound, it sounds, it's not just natural science, not just social science, social history, natural history. It's got a lot that you're bringing together. Uh, and it's a part of the world that you have a personal connection to, so you're going to be really invested in it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And hopefully through that, I will end up, I don't know, offering something useful to anybody who reads my research by the end of it, and also listeners who like follow along with my process. Um, hopefully it'll help illuminate like some of this for you yourself and in, in how we make decisions about what happens on the land where we live and... Um, yeah, I think those like questions about power are quite relevant to like even the Rocky Mountains today, the threats that they're under from coal development, right? Yeah. So you're going back to grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got an awesome research question. Uh, I can see the passion that's <laughs> driving you back to the U of A. Yeah. Where you're going to be doing your research. Yeah. Um, yeah, are you, what about like the grad school experience? How, <laughs> what are you uh, envisioning for yourself as a grad student at uh, in your mid-30s? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is funny thinking about going back. And, and I really, I saw this um, th- video on Instagram the other day of, of like a 36-year-old college undergrad um, being like, um, can anybody explain what a module is? I my homework assignment. How many buttons do I have to click to get there? Can anybody hear me? Like, I feel like that's going to be part of it. Part of it, uh, I um, imagine, is going to be like a lot of fun, like hiking and studying and like slamming my head against the textbook um, with my friend Dylan Hall, who um, you also know, um, who uh, made a guest appearance on Let's Find Out two years ago, um, investigating Rocky Mountain history with me. Um, he was inspired by the same prof that will be my and his supervisor. We're study, we're we're gonna get to go to grad school together, and I'm so pumped. <laughs> Dylan and oh, I will okay. be doing this degree together. You have a grad school buddy. I do. Built him. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, I have, I have, uh, I, I imagine hopefully some like fun hiking and studying and intellectual uh, like struggle with Dylan. Um, and also I, um, also picture it being super weird in September because I mean, COVID is still a thing, but we're mostly going to be back on campus. I'm double vaxxed. Trevor's double vaxxed. This is why we're recording in my office together, which is great. Love doing it together. But like, this is why Let's Find Out like was basically on hiatus for most of the last year and a half, except for Nathan's awesome Miramis series last year. It's like, it's really hard to do a research podcast where we bring people on field trips to mm. indoor spaces <laughs> and meet old people often um or have live events at like crowded bars and concerts halls and stuff um quite hard to do a podcast like that in a respiratory disease pandemic it turns out Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um this is like i I hopefully gonna be like a pandemic proof way to to keep doing the podcast um and hopefully will still be interesting for listeners yeah awesome so come september Mm -hmm. uh we're gonna check back in with you Mm mm-hmm uh see what grad school's like i mean you're going to be in the thick of like getting oriented um figuring out your classes all that jazz so we'll see i think it'll be a very exciting time to check in with you thanks i appreciate it appreciate that yeah um and i wanted to say one more thing to listeners which is like okay the spirit of this podcast is that we we learn things together with people and that's really really important to me that that like there are lots of podcasts where you can go out and you can learn about history um but there aren't many that make it a research journey together um and so the the thing that i thought we could add to the show um let me know what you think of this for the uh, for the next little while is um a segment called fact finders where people send us uh, like a little recording of themselves talking about um their favorite like book or cool thing they found in an archive or just like an old dude that has some really interesting stories or something like some little interesting memorabilia they have around their house that tells a really cool story about um, Edmonton or Alberta history. Like if you send us those, I would love to feature one of those each episode. So um, I don't know. What do you think? Fact finders? Definitely. Yeah. I think that'll be uh, the perfect addition to the episodes. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so listeners, send us your stuff. Uh, uh, Chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com, please. Awesome. I feel like I should sign off or something, but I don't know what to say. So. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, can, can I? Can I? Um, or do you want to? No, you, whatever you want. Well, uh, what, what, would, what would go into signing off? Uh, just that I'm so happy to be recording with you again. I love making stuff with you. Okay, wait, I, I have to write that down. uh no yeah i love i love doing radio with you too and thanks for having me on the team i think uh thanks for bringing all of us along with you on this journey i think i'm excited to learn what grad school is all about (laughs) uh and and to learn about the what you're going to uncover about the shaping and telling of history Mm -hmm. the research methods the the fascinating little uh, background that you can share with us and uh, yeah I'm excited for the for the journey ahead well thanks Trevor you're welcome <laughs> thanks for listening Let's Find Out is produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and me Chris Chang and Phillips it's made in Edmonton, Alberta or 
a Miskwichi with Skygon on Treaty 6 territory. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. We read all of your messages, even if we don't always get a chance to write back. You can download all of our messages on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Instagram and Facebook, too. If you're listening to these credits, I'm going to assume that you like Let's Find Out. Now would be a great time to tell people about it on social media. We've been on hiatus for a year. Now would be a great time to remind people, hey, we're still around and we're doing this cool new thing. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the warm and lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Until next time, keep your questions coming.